do you view members of Congress a lot differently today than you did during your 40 years of military service? Uh, yes, because in my senior years, I did countless testimonies um, before committees and subcommittees, and I was pretty underwhelmed by some of the committee and subcommittee hearings we had because we would do all our prep work for, you know, as a person testifying, and then these members of Congress would come in and start yelling at each other, and we were, we were kind of like the potted plants there at the testimony table, and I, I said to my, my peers, there were seven of us, the Guard and Reserve Chiefs, you know, if I was ever a member of Congress, I'd do things differently, never thinking I would be. And about six months after I got elected, I got an email from one of those guys saying, well, are you going to do, are you going to walk your talk from back then? And I said, yes, I am, because I'm not going to waste anybody's time or money, but especially testimony time. Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. Hey, welcome to another episode of American Potential. You know, Saturday is Veterans Day, and we wanted to pay tribute to the brave men and women who not only served our nation in the military, but are now serving in Congress. The 118th Congress has 97 members that have served, and 47 of them have deployed to combat zones. Now, today's guest started his military career when he graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy in 1969. He served in the U.S. Marine Corps, where he earned the rank of Lieutenant General over his 40-year career. During his service, he received a number of commendations and honors that reflected his dedication and leadership on the battlefield. Now, while serving as a Marine, he launched two successful startup businesses. And when he retired, he went on to enjoy a 22-year career as a commercial airline pilot. Yet, his sense of duty led him to run for political office. And in 2016, he was elected as the U.S. Representative from Michigan's 1st Congressional District. As a congressman, he's focused on veterans affairs, national security, economic opportunities, as well as working to improve the lives of those he represents. He's a husband, father, and grandfather and serves to make America a better place for his kids and grandkids. I want to welcome U.S. Congressman Jack Bergman to the show. Well, Congressman, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. So, I, first of all, why did you decide to, to join the Marine Corps, join and serve in the Marine Corps? Well, number one, my dad was in the, it got drafted into the Navy in World War II. Okay, so I grew up in a family in the 1950s and early 60s that believed in service, whether it be in uniform or whether it be, uh, you know, to your community, whatever it happens to be. But my first year of college was at the Coast Guard Academy. And I left there after a year, not because I didn't like military life. I really enjoyed that. But I just found I had no passion for the Coast Guard mission at the time. Just that's not who I was as a 19 year old. So I'd already made a kind of an internal commitment to seek military service of some sort. And um, in October of 66, in my sophomore year of college, I ran into a Marine recruiter and he had a good sales pitch. And so it was just <laughs> God's way of saying, hey, he said, you can fly if you sign here. And so I signed there and all the rest is history. But it was a commitment 
on my part, thanks to my parents, that uh, serving our country, and it is our country, is a very honorable and fulfilling thing to do. Well, and what a what a great story and what a, a great family of service. What's the biggest shock you had after you joined the Marine Corps? Well, the, you know, the biggest <laughs> shock, I guess, was that there were many of my uh, buddies in, in, in literally in, in basic training, our officer candidate training, who were, um, they didn't have a whole lot of life skills. Uh, so, I mean, I, I just being being in a platoon in boot camp or even after we graduated and and uh you know we're second lieutenants um they were good good guys but they just had grown up in an environment not a bad one but just they didn't have life skills they didn't know how to use tools they had trouble telling the difference between a um a, a male and a female cow i said no a cow is for female, a bull is a male. But, you know, basic things like that, that was a surprise to me. <laughs> Did that come up a lot in the Marine Corps, the difference between a cow and a bull? <laughs> I, I, I just uh, related that story to you because it came from one of my dearest friends who we went through flight training <laughs> together with are still friends today. Uh, and he was born and raised in New York City. Gotcha. So, he he wasn't he wasn't smelling uh, cow manure on a daily basis like I was growing up. Sure, sure, <laughs> of course. Well, yeah. How about can you share just share some of the stories of you sort of rising through the ranks? I mean, it's pretty remarkable—a forty-year career. I mean, my father-in-law served in the army. He was in for thirty-three years. Forty years is a very long career in the military, and I'd love to hear some of the stories of you rising through the ranks. Well. You know, and and in t today's world, every pretty much everything we own or touch is a hybrid. So my career, 40 years in uniform, was a hybrid, which means I had seven years active duty on the front end. So literally from the day I, a couple of days after I graduated from college in 1969, uh, that first seven years were on active duty, you know, flew helicopters in Vietnam, came back, was a flight instructor in Pensacola for three years. And then I made a decision, life's decision, that I was going to leave active duty and seek my fame and fortune, if you will, in the business world. So I did, but I stayed in the, in a Marine Corps Reserve uniform. So for the next, mm -hmm. you know, 30 plus years, uh, well, not quite 30 years, let's say 25, uh, I was doing, I was an airline pilot for Northwest Airlines based in Detroit. I had... Um, couple of small businesses uh, in the operating room equipment arena, and I was a Marine Corps reservist. So as I, to use your term, as I rose through the ranks, it, it was great because I was busy doing something that I enjoyed every day. And as a, as a Marine Corps reservist, I could pick and choose some of the assignments that were out there, some of the opportunities, which if I'd been on active duty, I would have been subject to the will of the Marine Corps, which is normal. If you're on active duty, they, you know, you you report to them 24-7. Um, and in the last seven years after 9-11, I was back on active duty and retired, as, as you well know, at the, at the rank of uh, lieutenant general, three stars. But during that 40-year time frame, for those who do numbers, I ended up with about the equivalent of 21 years active duty time. So 
So, wow. but it gave me my choice to, to serve in, in different ways and forms, full-time, part-time, whatever you want to call it. Um, just, uh, it made the time go by so fast. I had a chance to experience so much, meet so many great people. Um, you know, the old saying about you, friends for a reason, friends for a season, friends for life. My closest set of friends for life are the guys and ladies that I served with in the Marine Corps, you know, for that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. And then the reserve component, you talked about uh, being in the reserves, the reserve component, such an integral part of our military, very different, obviously, than being active duty. But uh, talk about that a little bit, just just the, 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 the citizen soldier aspect of that. Well, uh, the strength of our, you know, the, the strength of our country has has been the in in the old, old in the 1700 terms the militias the the state militias which were now that would now be called the national guard in every state because you've got the army guard you've got the air guard um and then you have the reserve components like i can get real technical here on you but i'm not going to but the point is every governor of every state has a national guard under their authority and then that's one separate authority which is Michigan or Minnesota, whoever, that's the governor's responsibility. Those guard forces can be activated at, in emergency times. Uh, one example was when Hurricane Katrina, you know, blew through uh, New Orleans back in 2005. There was activation of Guard and Reserve to help with the devastation down there. Same after 9-11, there was activation of Guard and Reserve capabilities to go to uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, wherever. At any given time, there are uh, a, a significant number of guardsmen and reservists that are on active duty. Could be for a month, could be for a year. They could be um, assigned to Washington, D.C. It could be they could be you know, somewhere at some embassy. And well, right now, they probably could be somewhere in the Middle East. Um, but the beauty of the Guard and Reserve and, and the active component of every service uh, is better at understanding, especially in the last couple of decades, how important to have a strong garden reserve is when they're trained and ready to go, because it would be impossible for the active component military to maintain a level of readiness that you, you could actually uh, you know, put a sustainable cost on it to do. So the value, the bang for the buck, as we would say, is, is to have a strong garden reserve to augment and reinforce the active component, active component, in times of uh, times of national need. Right. Well, in your service over those years, you saw really the world change. What was it like seeing the Marine Corps and the world transition from the Cold War to peace uh, through the Gulf War through nine eleven? Um, what 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 would you say? is uh is is the differences in the service and your service through those times not only transition through the cold war because when i left active have duty in 1975 we the united states military mainly the army and the marine corps at that point was just transitioning from vietnam and in the Early 70s, I mean, in the, I'll just speak about the Marine Corps because that's why I was part of the other services, you know, had their own challenges. Their drugs were an issue. Race riots were an issue if you study your history. 
So as we transitioned out of Vietnam and pulled everybody, you know, all of our troops out of there, the services each had to do their own transition to, um, what did we call it? Peace with honor in January of 73. I think that was what Henry Kissinger said when they, when they you know, hostilities in, in, in Vietnam uh, uh, ended. Okay, so then now we're focused on the Cold War. Reagan comes in and he, he basically says, we are going to, this is peace through strength. And, and his goal was to, to, to show in those days, the Russians, that America was not somebody to be messed with. Because if you mess with us or our allies, we're coming after you. So those are the Reagan years. And the, of course, in the Reagan years, we had a couple of little operations down in Panama. And then we had, uh, you know, Desert Shield, Desert Storm and, you know, early 90s. Uh, the, the good news for Desert Shield, Desert Storm was, as you talk about the transition, the Reserve and Guard was not used in Vietnam because after World War II, the Reserve and Guard had been gutted for, for resources, equipment, training, everything, you name it. And they weren't ready. The Guard and Reserve was not ready to fight in Vietnam because we, the Department of Defense and whoever, you know, was dealing with the military at the time had, had made the Guard and Reserve a bill payer for the active component. Well, after that, in the 80s, under Reagan, the Guard and Reserve was beefed up again, resourced, trained and ready. So their first um, deployment, if you will, was Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and they performed spectacularly alongside the active duty folks. So that was the beginning of the Guard and Reserve of the future. Of course, when 9-11 happened, um, we had the activation of units uh, going forward from all services because we did not know where the next attack was going to come from. So the transition of, 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 the, of the capabilities of the, of the Guard and Reserve alongside the active duty served as well. Uh, for being able to respond post 9-11. The 20 years of, of war in Iraq and Afghanistan, Somalia, some other places, they, they wore us out, both um, from the uh, equipment side, but I think more importantly from the, the personnel side. And uh, we needed to rethink what we're gonna do as the United States military to be, to be ready to defend our, our country. And the, the worst, place we want to have to defend our country is within our own borders. We know if we do this right and if it happens, we want you, we will end up deploying somewhere in the world to take out the bad guys before they attack us. That's the nature of, unfortunately, it's the worst of mankind, but the best of mankind, the men and women who serve are the ones who will make the difference for us on the world stage. And that's where we are today. Yeah. There are some concern with um, recruiting by the services and the young men and women who would potentially consider military service. I mean, this, the status is right now, we've got about 70% of the age eligible men and women. So that'd be 18 to 24 years old, roughly, who are ineligible for military service because of some issue. And largely, unfortunately, that's uh, obesity. That's, that's the number one. And when you think about whether you're gonna join the military or not, obesity is the national health problem. And so we got our we got our work cut out for that, but it, that starts with education, and and lifestyle understanding, of course, as well as nutrition and exercise. But uh, I believe kids should be at the age of six 
should be hanging on jungle gym bars, crawling around, falling down. They break an arm. Occasionally, we've had several of our grandkids, you know, broken broken bones, doing the kind of things that kids are supposed to do. But the developmental side of of the physical body has to happen. Really, the the building blocks are are already in place by age twelve. And if you squander those first, let's say those the, between the ages of you know five and 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 thirteen thereabouts and not get the physical development, now you you have people who aren't literally eligible to join the military because it is a rigorous, rigorous lifestyle, but it's a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, say very true. And uh, now you didn't jump straight into politics after you retired or after your service in the military. What brought you to run for the first time? Very simple. well, we made this decision in 30 days between Thanksgiving and Christmas of 2015. We found out right around Thanksgiving that our Congressman, Dan Beneshek, was retiring. And I was literally here in Washington, D.C. with my wife and our two oldest grandsons, who were 14 at the time. And uh, this uh, the Marine Lieutenant Colonel, who was my escort, because, you know, the Marine Corps doesn't let their old retired generals wander around <laughs> Capitol Hill. For, they're afraid we might say something stupid. And, you know, bring discredit (laughs) and dishonor on the Marine Corps, even after you're retired. But the lieutenant colonel said when we found it out that our congressman was retiring, she says, well, General, you ought to run. And my wife was her eyes and mine met. And she says, no way. And my eyes said, well, let's talk. (laughs) And and literally 30 days later at at Christmas, grandma announced to the family that grandpa was going to get out of her hair for a few months and do this thing called run for politics. (laughs) So you see how that turned out. And by the way, Grandma, yeah. and I, she'll, no, I have a name. It's Cindy, but she goes by Grandma Cindy with all 10 grandkids. You know, they, they she's the favorite grandma. But um, <laughs> the commitment to serve, once I got here and once I found out how, how to run a political campaign to get elected, first of all, but by, I've been told I have a servant's heart. That goes all the way back to what we talked about at the beginning here, my parents grew up with a servant's heart for everything from, you know, the community, the church, the country, all of that. So this seven years here in Congress has been, um, it's put strain on my heart at times, but it's filled my heart every day because of the, well, the number one, what's our goal? What are we trying to do? Serve the American people. And that doesn't necessarily, as it says in the, the Declaration of Independence, what are we guaranteed? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Not everybody's happiness, is, but you get to pursue it. There's no guarantee of it. But I, I am, I mean, I think about the, the men and women who've served before me, and I, the, I'm walking in some pretty big shoes here and trying to do the right thing. So, uh, yeah, that was the why. It was just it, it, there was no plan on getting into politics. All of a sudden it was an open seat. Of course, my Marine math said to my wife, you know, they're going to have to vote for somebody new. So that gives me at least a 50 percent chance uh, of at least getting someone to consider me because nobody can say to me, well, no, no, old Old Dr. Beneshek, he's been doing a great job. We're just going to vote for him again. There was nobody to vote for. Him, so they had to make a new choice. Right. Yeah. What a great story. That's, uh, I mean, you just jumped right into it. How, how different is 
serving in Congress from serving in the military. I imagine there's a lot that transfers, but a lot that's different. Well, we have 435 members of the House of Representatives. They all won an election to get here. So they're duly elected. That doesn't mean they come with all the skill sets, you know, uh, required to operate. Some of them, uh, they're good folks. They're all good folks. Some of them have never run any kind of a, 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 a business, whether it be just a, even a, a family financial plan. I, we got some interesting backgrounds here. Uh, so right. uh, it, um, but we're required by our constitutional duties to to represent our districts and to do what we can, thinking about how we might view things in Michigan compared to how people might view things in Mississippi or Colorado or New York, all the differences that bring those differences together in such a way that we are doing the right thing for our constituents and the entire country of the United States of America. And it's a it's a challenge every day because we have different viewpoints. As I mentioned, my, my dear friend who grew up in the Bronx in New York and his lack of understanding of what farm life was about. Think about this year we're trying to do a farm bill to make sure that we we maintain that, you know, our our uh, reputation of being able to not only feed our people, but to feed a, a greater part of the world who is not as blessed as us to have the the geography for growing things that we do. So I, I uh, in, in a previous life, I, uh, I worked uh, as a staff member for a member of Congress who served on the Armed Services Committee. I did their military work for him. Um, but I, I, as we've been talking, I've been thinking how about looking back now? I mean, do you, do you view members of Congress a lot differently today than you did during your 40 years of military service? <clears throat> uh, great question. Uh, yes, because in my senior years, <laughs> I did countless testimonies uh, before committees and subcommittees. Uh, and, and my expertise at that time was the Garden Reserve uh, during that time right. frame. And I was pretty underwhelmed by some of the committee and subcommittee hearings we had because we would do all our prep work for, you know, as a person testifying. And then these members of Congress would come in and start yelling at each other. And we were, we were kind of like the potted plants there at the testimony table. And I, I said to my, my peers, there were seven of us, the Garden Reserve chiefs, you know, if I was ever a member of Congress, I'd do things differently. Never thinking I would be. <laughs> Sure. And about six months after I got elected, I got an email from one of those guys saying, well, are you going to are you going to do are you going to walk your talk from back then? And I said, yes, I am, because I'm not going to waste anybody's time or money, but especially testimony time. And I, I when I had a gavel on oversight uh, uh, in the on the VA committee, my first term, I told him the story, just what I told you. I said, members, doesn't make a difference what side of the aisle is. We're not going to waste these people's time who are testifying before us and you who are testifying before us don't try to fill us full of baloney we're here for serious reasons and don't give us the the bureaucratic two-step you know sidestep shuffle whatever you want to call it so sure. that's kind of uh, the thoughts on that but we've got you can either you could my mother used said used to say you could be part of the solution or part of the problem and in this case uh, I feel being part of the solution uh, as a I'm, I'm not necessarily senior as a member of Congress. I'm, I'm about one number 180 out of 435 now. 
Um, but I'm senior in age and life's experience to a lot of the folks. So I've chosen to be uh, kind of a, you know, a listener and maybe mentor to folks who, in my case, because I'm on armed services and veterans affairs, who don't have a background in that and try to give them not a political pitch, but here's the reality of the piece of legislation or the policy that you're considering. Here's how it, here's the downstream effects, because I've seen it. We did it in 1970, here's what it looked like. We did it in 1980, here's what it looked like. And they go, God, you're old. So, yeah, okay, <laughs> I got that, I'll take it. Experienced, right, Congressman? There you go, there you go. Well, you know, as an airline so, pilot, I, I tell people, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I, uh, I, you are probably one of the few members, maybe the only member that sits currently on the House Armed Services Committee who actually testified before the House Armed Services Committee, right? I, you know, that's a great uh, trivia, you know, data point. I'll look at that. That that probably is a pretty good chance of the answer to that is yes. Yeah. Yeah. What What do you see as the biggest barriers? I mean, you serve on the Armed Services Committee, you've served on the Veterans Committee, uh, Veterans Affairs Committee. What do you see as the biggest barriers right now facing our military? You talked about uh, some of some of the issues of retention and things like that, but what are some of the biggest concerns? Well, the biggest concerns are we we have a very low number of members of Congress who actually have military experience, so that makes the discussion harder. Uh, we have um, generations now, multiple generations, who they're the they're the uh, you know, the, the Internet age and, you know, they're the TikTok age and, and all of this. But to really uh, have folks understand the value of some level of military service. If 100 young men and women join the military today, roughly only 10 of them would stay longer than four to six years. That's the nature of the United States military. So to get people to understand that this is not you don't when you sign up for the military, you're not committing to a, a lifelong career, you're committing to a an experience at a time in your life that's gonna help you, um, number one, uh, understand more about, about humanity and the good people and the bad people, but number two, give you some life's experiences so when you leave that active service, you're ready to take your next step in life, whether it's become a teacher, whether it's go to med school, whether it's go back to the family farm or start some new business, uh, to give you some life's experience to get your next step going. And that's what I think we're missing right now with too many uh, of our, our citizens not understanding why do we serve? Well, it's very simple, is to our, our country, we need to defend ourselves in time, in time of a trial, if you will, trouble, but we also, there is no country in the world who has a bigger humanitarian heart than the United States of America. No, no country. And it's, that's just who we are. And uh, that's what it is. And, and by the way, I guess I'm getting called to go vote here. So I think we got about a minute or two to wrap up. Okay, sure. Well, I would just that I would just wrap up. Final uh, comment would just be about veterans. We've uh, you know, obviously you serve on the Veterans Committee. What what uh, what do you see as one of the biggest concerns there with with uh, serving veterans, making sure they get proper health care? Uh, and, and this cuts across, I think, all parts of government is that one of the things I knew coming here because I kind of lived it in the Department of Defense days um, 
The Washington, D.C. bureaucracies are too big. They are too much um, making policy mainly that really in the veterans case doesn't reflect good policy for outcomes for the veterans. So we are our number one goal here, and this is not Democrat or Republican, is to reduce the unnecessary overreach and influence and therefore then the cost of bureaucracies because, you know, we got a lot of buildings here that uh, um, are unoccupied right now, but those that are occupied, we still can can trim down and, and, and take the workforce going forward in the future. Great. Congressman, thank you. I know you've got to run and vote. I really appreciate uh, you joining us and your time today. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, Marine Corps birthdays, uh, November the 10th and uh, Veterans Day is the 11th and time to celebrate our veterans on the 11th. You bet. Well, thank you so much. Well, it's so impressive to see someone who's dedicated really their entire life, a 40 year career in the U.S. military, rising to the rank of three star general and then becoming uh, a member of Congress and, and serving there as well. And it's great to have folks like this on the show to highlight uh, really the sacrifice that has made has been made throughout the years just to continue to uh, uh, honor the, the legacy and uphold the Constitution of the United States. And again, it takes brave men and women all across our country to do that. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope that you, too, will join in the fight for liberty and freedom. Liberty and freedom, they're easily taken for granted. Don't take liberty and freedom for granted. Go out there, defend freedom, defend liberty. And thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.